Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined, as always, by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, he has a lot of feelings about Stacks decks, but unfortunately none of those feelings are able to untap on his turn. It's Matt Morgan. You know, if, if you're a comedian trying to get into the business, uh, don't do a show for ghosts because you're always going to get booed off stage. There it is. I love it. Love to... Love to wait, no. You know it might lift their spirits, been? but like... I hear it's a pretty dead room. You know what? I only have one response to that, Matt, and that's boo. And yes, I am a ghost. Yeah, I think that joke really knocked him dead. That's that's fine. <laughs> dang it. Dang it. You're so good at this. Dang. Okay, we got to move on. Up next, he had the opportunity to either win the game or draw five cards, and he chose to draw five cards. It's Dana Roach. Uh, why are werewolves better wedding guests than vampires? Um, why, Dana? They- don't freak out when someone at their table gets the steak. <laughs> I I can't handle the energy that we've got right now. This is this is too many jokes. I can't believe people. I y'all 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 came in a nice and Dana was just dying to make that joke. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna actually finish our introductions now. This is the EDH Retcast. If you are still listening to us, we appreciate you so, so much. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And if you're on the podcast, what we'd like to do is give all of that data a little more context. Matt, what is it that we're talking about in this week's episode? Well, you know, many years ago, Missy Elliott, she put her thing down, she flipped it and reversed it. So this week we're going to do the same. So we're going to talk about what we talked about last week, um, except (laughs) we're going to do the opposite of that. Um, So we're going to talk about the most stable commanders, commanders that have had the most carryover over the past few years, the most cards that are just remaining in the decks. There you go. That was that was very funny. Yeah. Last episode, we talked about the commanders that have changed the most over the past two years. And here we want to talk about the commanders that have been the most consistent in their 99. Very, very little has changed from two years ago to where they are now. There's been just very few new cards that have made the decks budge at all. So it should be really interesting to see what those commanders are up to and why it is that they want to stay so stable that way. Real quick, before we get into our main episode, let's give a quick thank you to the folks at the Command Zone. They handle the post production work on our podcast, making it look as spiffy as it does. And we want to thank our sponsors for the show, too. The Idiot Recast is sponsored by Card Kingdom and TCG Player, the day and night of online single retailers. <laughs> Just go to EDH Rec and click on the card in question, uh, cast either zero or two spells in your turn, and choose the vendor <laughs> link down below. Doing so supports both the site and the show. And if you prefer to support the show directly, you can do so over at patreon.com slash EDH Retcast. Uh, we have patron tiers of all sorts of levels. Whether you want to join the Discord, you want access to challenges stats, we have a spreadsheet for everyone who has a certain level there. Um, whatever you want, we have a goal over there for you. So head over to patreon.com slash EDH Retcast. And actually, there's a somebody special we do want to shout out because they're just simply a patron of ours and we definitely appreciate the support. So this week, we want to give a very special thank you to Malcolm Heredia Langner. So Malcolm, thank you so much for the support. We definitely appreciate it. Thank you so much, Malcolm. All right, fellas, let's get into our main topic. Once again, we are talking about the most stable commanders that have had very, very little change over the past two years. So just like last episode, we are not going to count anything that is too recent 
you know, we're not, if, if a commander just came out three months ago and very little has changed on its page, well, that's not enough data. So we're not going to talk about that. These commanders that we're discussing in this episode have to be at least two years old so that we have data to actually track. Not only that, but we've got um, another weird, funky disclaimer that we uh, need to put out here. Initially, I was fully ready to like bring a data report to Matt and to Dan and be like, hey, this is really interesting. Look at this top 10 that we can do for this episode. But when I tried to pull a top 10, um, Matt, I regret to inform you that it, um, it, it would have been over 100 cards that we would have had to talk about because so much of the data, it turns out, is kind of crammed in here. There are a whole bunch of commanders that have changed very, very little over the past few years. Um, <laughs> So uh, maybe you're happy about that, that we're not talking about a 10, but... Uh, I mean, yeah, as, as the internet memes would say, ain't nobody got time for that. Um, <laughs> and I, I certainly do not. Precisely. Yeah. So what we're actually going to do is just talk about a top four, because even within the top four, we've got some ties that will take up a lot of time. And we we don't want to talk about 100 commanders here. So we are just going to talk about the top four, which is still like nearly 11 commanders of just these commanders that haven't changed a whole lot over time. So so help me understand real quick before we go. Yes, Yes. Not top four commanders, but top four positions. Yes, that. Okay, Thank there for, we go. For, see, I'm just so befuddled by how many there were. Seriously, if we were to talk about an actual top 10 positions, it, we, we would be here all day. So I mean, it, I, it's absolutely crazy. I think only talking about four commanders would be a grave mistake today, but um, <laughs> I, I think we, you, can, we can talk about a few more than that. Are you continuing to pun this? I'm, I am dead serious about continuing this gag. Taking a breath, taking a breath. <laughs> I Dana. thought you would love these these <laughs> I, these dead I, I, jokes and I'm I'm so torn, Matt, because the necromancer player in me exactly. loves what you're doing with this, but the the podcaster in me is like I can't bear the level of dad joke, and it might actually genuinely kill me to listen to all of them. So, oh I man, mean, it's I mean, it's when I'm the one talking about dead things, you might say it's a grave betrayal. Dana, how about you start us off this week? Yeah, let's, let's, let's just snuff this out right now and um, <laughs> move on Dang to it. talking about these the seven-way tie for the, the fourth position here. Yes, yes. So a seven-way tie at position number four. Every one of these commanders we're about to talk about in fourth position not the ballet pose. Um, all of these have kept 91 cards from two years ago to now. 91 of the cards in their average deck have remained the same. So let's start off. Dana, who do we got coming in for our seven-way tie? Let's talk about it. So the first commander in our seven-way tie here absolutely slaying it in terms of consistency is Slimefoot the Stowaway. So Slimefoot's a legendary creature fungus, a 2-3, and whenever a sapperling you control dies, Slimefoot the Stowaway deals one damage to each opponent and you gain one life. And Slimefoot also has an activated ability where you can spend four mana and create a 1-1 green sapperling creature token. The thing that jumps out at me here immediately is the fact that Slimefoot cares so very much about sapperlings, which aren't a creature type we really have gotten very much of since like 1996 or so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, it's a it's a deck that's you know relatively strong off played against quite a few Slimefoot lists in the past, and it it's a good deck, but it just doesn't get very many new toys aside from kind of a general removal spell like we see with Mortality Spear um, is one of the new cards showing up in that deck. Yeah, Slimefoot makes for a very good, I mean, well, and probably one of the only really like fungus or Thalid tribal commanders. Um, so you're playing a bunch of cards like Spore Mound, which um, creates a whole bunch of Sapperling creature tokens and Inverdant Force, which are some some older cards because, like Dana said, like we just don't get very many Sapperling type of tribal or even just like Sapperlings in general. Um, so we're either playing very old cards or we're playing um, some of the very limited cards that came out when we went back to Dominaria, um, Time Spiral. Every now and then we'll we'll throw us some new and weird card types. Uh, but yeah, we don't get a whole lot of Sapperling support for that tribe. So that's why Slimefoot is just so consistent because ever since Slimefoot came around, we just haven't really gotten anything new to put in the deck. Very much. This does strike me as a commander that could have a huge shift if we got new toys for it, but it's just rare to actually happen, which is kind of interesting. I think of Sapperlings as like a, a, a staple type of token, I, sort of like dragons. You know, we get new dragons every set. I would expect, oh yeah, we get Sapperlings all the time too, but it turns out, no, they are a little bit rare. Sometimes there's a card like Fungal Rebirth that might show up, which could be one of the new cards that uh, Slimefoot is playing. But Dana, like you mentioned, it does seem like the most movement that it's had over the past few years has been from Strixhaven, like that new Mortality Spear that you mentioned, which is removed 
removal spell that is cheaper to play if you've gained life, and Slimefoot's effect does gain you life. And in fact, another card that he's playing is Dina Soulsteeper, which drains even more life from your opponents when you gain life. So it seems like the Strixhaven Witherbloom stuff has caused the most amount of movement for Slimefoot, and it still hasn't been too much, because there are still 91 cards that he's continuing to play over the past two years. Well, I mean, all you Slimefoot players just keep your fingers crossed for the uh, Fallen Empires remasters that we might eventually get that will probably help you all quite a bit. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Silliness. You know, all right. Speaking of tokens, Matt, our next commander here, still in the fourth position, is also a token-tastic commander. Very token-tastic. So Reese the Redeemed, who for a long time there was kind of the the default, like, if you want to play Slesnia tokens, this is the commander you play. Um, So Reese is just a a hybrid green and a white for a 1-1, and you can pay two and a hybrid green-white and tap him. You create a 1-1 green and white elf warrior creature token, or you can play pay four in two of the the hybrid manas Uh, and then for each creature token you control you create a token that's a copy of that creature so you can either make a bunch of little ones or you can make a bunch of little ones um, depending on how you want to build the deck Um, that was kind of but for a while they're like that was the only real you know tokens type of commander you had a couple from like ravnica that weren't really all that great Um, but man 91 cards constant just over the over the course of years because by the time we started getting new Selesny token commanders, uh, they were just kind of outpowering it and people kind of forgot that Reese even was around. And for a really long time, Reese was just financially unattainable. He was a $40 card for a long time. Oh, yeah. And also, Matt, I'm sorry. I just I love your distinction between Reese can either make you a bunch of Elf Warrior tokens or it can make you a bunch of elf warrior tokens that was a bunch or capital b bunch yes capital b bunch absolutely yeah i mean this is also kind of one of those don't mess with perfection type of decks i mean why would you ever change the deck away from it being able to do amazing stuff with parallel lives or away from stuff like anointed procession like this is the type of deck where its identity has been able to be so stable for so long because we've all played against token decks before they are up to a lot of the the same core cards fill a bunch of different token deck synergies so why mess with perfection when you can just keep on going as it is going it's it's this way for a reason and this definitely feels like one of those commanders although i will say I mean, it's not like we don't get good token cards very frequently um we do we get good elves very frequently if you're someone who's playing this as a Slesnia elf commander, which is a thing I've seen. Um, so we constantly get elves as well. Um, I, I really do think this is a this is an example of a card where Matt pointed out the, the financial issue. This was an expensive card for a long time, and I'm wondering if that just didn't keep people from making new versions of it, which left our database filled primarily with older decks that just may have gone untouched. Because looking at the rest of the commanders we're going to talk about, um, they seem to have really clear reasons why they haven't changed. And this one is is the strangest one to me in terms of like, I feel like it should have gotten new things to use in the deck over the course of the last two years for sure. Well, and, and yeah, Dana's right. Like, it's not that we're not getting new good cards, but it, I mean, it turns out like Scute Swarm is just incredibly powerful and it finally broke into some of those lists. But like, Joe, yeah, you mentioned like Anointed Procession and Parallel Lives. Like those are some very powerful cards that you're competing with. And so I th- I think a lot of restecks just got very, very tight. Like you might see one new card maybe to consider every set, but even then that it may not make the cut. Like I think Adeline Resplendent Cathar is going to make a bunch of new tokens. That's one of the new cards from Midnight Hunt that came out. I don't know if it makes a cut though, because like that that deck is just so crowded at this point. Yeah, that is a really cool card. I do like Adeline in the ninety nine, and also another one that I think Reese will be really happy with is that new Rite of Harmony. Mm-hmm. The, uh, oh yeah, the Selesnya Instant. Whenever a creature or enchantment enters the battlefield under your control this turn, you draw a card, and it's got flashback, which it needed. Um, but that doesn't just count the creatures you cast; that also counts creature tokens. And as Matt mentioned, Reese can make a capital B bunch of creature tokens, so that could be a huge performer as well. So it is interesting to see the smaller movements that do happen for this commander but yeah we just keep on coming back to this is a tight list that doesn't need to change in order to be as powerful as we all know that it can be because these effects are pretty crazy bonkers when you're doubling up all of your stuff and making capital b bunches well uh, up next on our list here we have rakdos lord of riots rakdos is obviously a rakdos commander (laughs) capital r rakdos commander in fact Capital R Rakdos. Uh, Legendary Creature Demon is a 6-6, and you can't cast Rakdos, Lord of Riots, uh, unless an opponent lost life this turn. And creature spells you cast cost one less to cast for each one life your opponent lost this turn. 
Uh, he also has Flying and Trample and is just generally a scary beater. Rakdos is a commander where, for the most part, whenever I've seen this list put together, people tend to build Rakdos and just fill the deck with artifact creatures or Eldrazi. So they can smack somebody with Rakdos and then just cast a bunch of, you know, six drops from their hand or something for no mana at all. And that's pretty spicy. Like, you gotta admit, free artisan of Kozilek. Yes, for sure. But, you know, talking about Reese, where, like, you have a tight deck that doesn't have a lot of room for improvement, yeah, we definitely get colorless creatures basically every set in terms of artifact creatures, but are they good enough to bump out the six and seven and eight drop Eldrazi and, um, you know, existing worm coil engine type artifact creatures that we have? I mean, probably not. I think that's probably the problem here where, like, the list of colorless things that you would want to cast for free is probably pretty tight. It's just really good things, and it just doesn't get that much competition that often. I I definitely agree. If anything, it feels like the greatest amount of movement that this deck will have won't come at the top end of the creatures that you're playing for free. Those are kind of established. The movement in the deck will actually occur whenever the enablers that help you cast Rakdos and make your opponents lose life so that your stuff can get cheaper, those enablers are the things that will change the most. Like a, a newer card that Rakdos is playing that has crept into its deck data is Sanctum of Stone Fang which is one of those shrines that this isn't a shrine deck it's playing this solo shrine because at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase it will drain life from your opponents equal to the number of shrines that you have but all you need is one because then your opponents will have lost a bunch of life you can cast rectos and you can make all of your stuff a bit more free so it's those enablers that are a bit more nuanced and possibly able to upgrade whereas like your void winnower is happy to stay in that deck as it is it's hard to top that Another new one we're seeing pop up in this list is Keen Duelist, the uh, human wizard that at the beginning of your upkeep, you and target opponent each reveal the top card of your library and you lose life equal to the mana value of the card revealed by the other player. And then you put the revealed cards into your hand. So you kind of have a dark confidant thing going on here that also uh, gives a card to your opponent. But unlike with most situations where you don't want to give those cards away, in this case, you're just dealing damage, which is allowing you both to cast your commander and to cast those things for free. You know, that sounds really nasty. Flip a Void Windower off of the top, make them lose life, and then play it for completely free? Um, seems pretty good. Seems okay. Uh, seems okay. That, that seems all right. Um, I might I might build a Rakdos Little Riot's <laughs> deck. Uh, Matt, do you want to take us to our, our, our the next meta that we're talking about while I, th- while I think about how gorgeous that line of play really, really deliciously sounds? That sounds great. I, I sure can. So the next one we got um, Rakdos with green. So uh, Jun deck coming up here. Um, we got Prosh Sky Raider of Curse. So this was one of the original kind of OG like scourges of the format. Um, so Prosh was uh, three in Jun colors um, for a legendary dragon. And whenever you cast this spell, you create X01 Kobold creature tokens um, where X is the amount of mana spent to cast it. And then you can sacrifice another creature and Prosh gets plus one plus O until end of turn and also has flying. So like People just built Prosh as kind of a combo deck. Um, the the famous food chain deck where you get to sacrifice all your tokens, make a bunch of mana, sacrifice Prosh, and cast them again, make infinite tokens and go infinitely big. Um, really scary, really crazy powerful combo deck. Um, but this deck really got solved pretty quickly. A lot of people just evolved to, you know, kind of the, the de facto best deck. And that was about it. The, the deck didn't really change for a long time. Um, we did get some few new cards every now and then, um, kind of like extra maybe non-combat win conditions. That the deck's always going to play a bunch of like Zulaport Cutthroat type of effects or Perforous God of the Forge, where whenever a creature enters the battlefield, you get to dome the table for two damage. Like those were just some ways to kill the table without actually having to use the combat step, which I don't really appreciate. But <laughs> to each their own. Yeah, you're you're certainly Mister Combat Step. Totally feel it. But yeah. Oh, why 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 make the power so big if you're never going to use it? <laughs> I totally feel you. But yeah, like this is definitely the kind of thing where when we see new cards, it is also like, are there new ways to sort of sneak in there? Other things that can assist with those Zulaport effects? And so you, you mentioned those and the Meat Hook Massacre, a new card from uh, the latest uh, Midnight Hunt set is indeed one of the cards that we see is pushing its way into Prosh decks and possibly a whole bunch of other decks too, because Meat Hook Massacre is a funky board wipe that also says that you can drain your opponents out by killing off all of your own creatures. And since this is a deck that makes a bunch of creatures and can sacrifice them at will pretty darn easily, this will make your opponents lose a whole bunch of life. So this is yet another enabler for exactly those non-combat win combo type of strategies that, Matt, I know were anathema to you, but are certainly very effective for this deck. And 
they've got to be effective in order to budge into it in the first place. Yeah, the Meat Hook Massacre is just like an absolutely wild card. Wild. Very wild. I'm I'm kind of uh, excited to try it out. But it is also $20, so I'm not going to get it just yet. Um, oh, there is another card that I think is also pretty interesting to see has uh, pushed its way into Frost Text 2, and that's Chatterfang, Squirrel General. This is a... I guess it functions as another parallel lives in this deck, which I almost wonder if the deck even really needs. But whenever you cast Prosh and you make a whole bunch of those kobolds, Chatterfang will be there also making a bunch of squirrels for you. Um, since this deck is so devoted to the combo in general, usually when we see the deck data, I'm, I'm like, hmm, is this the kind of thing that will stay? Like parallel lives itself is only in 37% of Prosh decks. Does it need this effect? But regardless, it's pretty darn good. And it's certainly a lot cheaper to get than parallel lives. So there's also that. Well, since we just talked about such a, like a combo heavy commander, Dana, why don't you, uh, why don't you redeem us and uh, move on to this next commander? Um, the the aptly named Feather the Redeemed is the next commander on our list here. Oh, there it is. <laughs> um, Feather's a 3-4 legendary creature angel with flying. And whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell that targets a creature you control, exile that card instead of putting it into your graveyard as it resolves. And if you do, return it to your hand at the beginning of the next end step. Um, feather decks are filled with really old, janky cards um, that tend to do a useful thing and draw you a card so you can do that over and over again. Um, one you frequently see is something like Shelter, where a target creature you control gains protection from the color of your choice until end of turn, and you draw a card. And then you just, whenever somebody tries to interact with one of your creatures, you save it by casting something like Shelter, draw your card, get it back, and do the same thing again next turn. Um, so when Feather first came out, you saw a, a, a flurry of people picking up these rarely played instant speed uh, semi-cantrips that do a little bit of a thing and draw you a card. Um, the problem is the deck wants to run a bunch of those. It's already running a bunch of them, and the amount of new ones that get printed that kind of make the cut is pretty slim. There's just not a lot of new additions necessarily that do what the deck wants from its cards. Oh yeah, this is a commander that I've built and every single set there are going to be some tricky combat spells that come around and I'm like, ooh, this could be interesting for Feather. And then I look at my list and I'm like, yeah, I don't have room. Yeah, no, I'm actually really happy with the ones I've already got. I don't need to get those those new ones. They're just little commons that like, oh, don't, don't quite make it. Occasionally, a cool one will break through. Like I really like Blacksmith Skill from Modern Horizons 2, for instance, because it gives hexproof and indestructible to a permanent. And that's really, really good to protect Feather on multiple fronts. But that is rare. I feel like this is one of the decks that I update the least among my repertoire because it, it it's just like the stuff is already really good. I've got all of the cantrips that I already want. I've got all the protection spells that I already need. It is rare for me to update this deck. So I'm really uh, not surprised to see it here in this position whatsoever. And I think one thing that, that hurts a little bit as well, Joey, is in the last couple of years when they've been printing these effects, now that Scry has become kind of an evergreen mechanic, they've oftentimes tended to use Scry on these cards instead of draw a card as well. And that's not nearly as useful to, to a Feather deck as just drawing a card. Very, very much. Yeah. There, there are occasionally some new things. Like Strixhaven actually had a, a an admirable number of cards that were like, yeah, okay, I could play this in, in Feather. Like Stormkiln Artist is another one that I'm like, yeah, this is a, a good update for sure. But it tends to be the kind of deck where... It, the only thing that's going to make me change this list is if they print a new instant that is one mana and says draw a card on it. So Dana, I'm totally with you there. I'm glad that they've shifted away um, from from giving those scries. G give me more of the cantrips. I would like more of those and that will definitely cause me to, uh, to update my feather deck. Um, let's move on to our next position here though. That's Brago, King Eternal. Brago King Eternal, as we all know, is the Azorius commander that blinks all of our stuff whenever he hits a player again. 91 cards have been pretty consistent among Brago decks, but man, this is one doozy of a deck. Dana, I'm sure you have plenty of experience with it. Yeah, I play against a Brago deck very frequently. My uh, Commander Central co-host, uh, Max Crandall, plays a Brago deck, and he busts it out very regularly. Um, the way the deck tends to work most of the time, and the way his definitely works, is he's just running a bunch of really good value creatures with ETB abilities that he can trigger whenever Brago swings in and just outvalue the entire table. The, the problem with that, such as it is, um, is, like we've said with a few of these commanders, 
to make that cut, it has to be a really good card. And to beat the value, you get off a, you know, Mull Drifter or a Cloud Blazer, where it's a, you know, flying body that can swing through and deal damage and draw you a couple of cards whenever it gets blinked. Um, those are already relatively strong cards that they're very unlikely to print a better version of. So it just becomes very difficult to break through those into the um, field of already very good cards to populate that deck. Yeah, classic Brago is classic Brago. It's hard to imagine stuff changing or shifting around too much in this deck. And there there are such clever tricks that can come with it. Like one of my personal favorite cards in this deck is Reality Acid, which you can put onto an enemy permanent and then blink it and Reality Acid will just destroy the thing that it was attached to. And then Brago will put it onto something else. Like that's really clever synergy. But since it's so clever, it's also like... I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. And even cards like the new Sword of Hearth and Home, which are amazing cards, even that isn't enough to break into Brago. That is the Blink Sword. But I think especially here, since Sword of Hearth and Home gives protection from green and from white, Brago's like, well, I wouldn't be able to target myself with it. And I would like to be untapped, thank you very much. Like, it's it's such an interesting type of thing to see that even one of those amazing swords is not enough for Brago. He's like, yeah, no, I, I can do without it. I'm already blinking all of my other stuff anyway. I don't think the, the timing works out for this ability. I'm a, I'm okay without it. It's so interesting to see that some of those powerful cards still can't make the cut in Brago's very established list. But then it's also super weird seeing the card that has broken in the list, and it's Omen of the Sea, which <laughs> is a totally fine card. Like I get it, but it, it's a kind of, almost feels like a throwaway common from Theros Beyond Death, where it's just like uh, it's an enchantment for two mana when it enters the battlefield. You scry two and draw a card, and then you can pay two and a blue to sacrifice it, and you scry two. You're never activating that ability, but like. It's just funny that like that's the card of everything over the past couple of years that has like consistently made its way into Brago decks. Like teleportation circles, another fairly recent card um, that lets you just flicker um, an artifact or creature you control once a turn. That's well and good, but like I think Brago also suffers from the like like the the downfall of like you're you're striking this balance between you have to achieve a certain power level of like things that you want to flicker, but also how much are you devoting to flickering those things beyond Brago itself? So like, there's a lot of competition for the slots in the deck. Well, in the deck also tends to want to do double duty on a lot of stuff too, which then kind of pushes cards out of consideration. Um, and an example that pops into my head here, um, Flawless Maneuver is part of the, the free spell cycle we got a couple years back where if your commander is in play, you can cast a spell for free. Um, False Maneuver is a way to give your stuff indestructible, so it's a way to save your board state in the event of a board wipe, and it's in a lot of decks and is a very strong card. But if you're playing Brago, something like Eerie Interlude or Ghost Way are going to save your board state, and they're going to functionally work as a way to blink all your stuff again anyway. So even cards that are really good don't often make the cut because there are good cards that already exist that also do an extra thing that synergizes with that deck. Very, very much. There, there is a newer card that is like kind of broken into the data. It's Cosmic Intervention, which is another one of those mass blink spells that has foretell. And it again, just like bounces, uh, not bounce, excuse me, exiles a bunch of stuff and brings it back. And like, that's also interesting. But even then, it's still like, I'm kind of showing up in like a third of the Brago decks that have been built most recently. Like it, it's squeaking in there, but even that one has an uphill climb and it's falling into exactly that thing that you just mentioned, Dana. So it's it's very, very fascinating to see the when a commander feels like, yeah, I, I done solved myself. You can't compete with the amount of value I'm already giving. It's really interesting to see which cards do and which cards do not make that cut because it is just such severe competition. Well, and the last commander coming in at this number four spot, um, tied with still nine. 91 cards over the past couple of years um, it has kind of the same same downfall in deck building process as Brago does where like it's it's pretty specific it's pretty tight um, and that commander is Arcades the Strategist which is the uh, uh, one in Bant color so a green white and a blue for a 3-5 Elder Dragon um, flying in Vigilance and whenever a creature with Defender enters the battlefield under your control you draw a card and then each creature you control with Defender assigns combat damage equal to its toughness rather than its power and can attack as though it didn't have Defender. Uh, same as a, you know, a few of the other commanders that we talked about. Like This is a pretty specific type of commander. You, you need stuff with Defender to really be fueling Arcades. 
And those just don't happen a whole lot to begin with, much less ones that are going to be able to beat out other decks or other cards, I should say, that are already in the deck. This one is also fascinating. And for the record, this is another commander that really benefits from playing those eerie interlude spells because this is not when you cast a defender, it's when your defenders into the battlefield. So that those are just straight up huge draw spells on this deck. Arcades isn't just, I care about defenders. Arcades is so efficient at drawing you a bunch of cards that Arcades has kind of slimmed down the roster to, I care about one and two mana defenders because all the deck wants to do is just chain through a bunch of those defenders, one right after the other, because they'll just keep replacing themselves. So if a new four mana defender comes out, you're probably still like Arcadius is like, yeah, I don't know if I'm interested because I'd much rather play cards that are one mana. I mean, you're, you're competing with wall of omens in my deck. You're competing with crashing drawbridge in my deck. You're competing with these two mana cards, these one mana cards. Like, so even if they do come out with interesting defenders in a regular set, it's still got an uphill battle because being a defender with a high toughness isn't enough. It's all about this mana cost for this guy. They also just in general print less defenders. Um, you know, just looking at what's legal and standard right now, there's only, it looks like six creatures with defender that will be legal for this deck from the standard set. Oh, wow. And that's with us getting 17 sets per year. <laughs> um, whereas, you know, in the past, way back in the day, they just tended to print Defender more often or print walls more often. There was just more choices, despite the fact that that wouldn't seem to make sense given how often we get sets. They just print less new Defenders and, and printed more in the past. So, you know, mathematically, that's where most of the choices come from. And there's just not much competition for those slots being printed for the most part. That makes sense. Are, are there any of those uh, Defenders from Standard that are making their way into Arcades lists nowadays? Um, just looking at what people are running, um, Secret Door is one that's showing up, and Flumph is um, a card who, <laughs> I mean, probably deserves a slot just for the awesome name, but is is also getting played because it's a pretty decent defender here as well. It, 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 it's, its name sounds like what it does, just flumps onto the battlefield. Yes. There you go. And you know what? In Arcades, it, it's technically a two-mana 4-4 four, four with flying that can also occasionally draw you cards if someone tries to like block it or whatever, which is, you know what? That's pretty interesting. So Flump, you've earned your spot in Arcades. Well done. All right. So that's really interesting. Those are our seven commanders all tied in the number four spot. Each one of those had 91 cards consistently stay in their average deck data over the past two years, which is just fascinating to see. And that brings us on to the top three positions. Which feels like a lot, and I feel like we just need to calm down because there's too many ties. This is just way too much. How about instead of doing that, we challenge some stats? Is that okay with everyone? Because I just feel like I need to get a break from all of this data and talk about different types of data. There's so much data on Trek, and we don't always agree with it. We love challenging those statistics. So let's get to that segment. And don't forget, Challenge of Stats is sponsored by Altersleeves.com. So you can head over to Altersleeves.com slash EDH Retcast, and that'll let them know that we sent you over there. But you're going to be able to get all these amazing Alter Sleeves. Say you want to try out some different arts, some extended borders, anything like that, but you don't actually want to have somebody draw on your cards, you can use altar sleeves to protect your cards and also throw a little flare out there as well. It's super great, amazing. I was so impressed with like the quality of everything printed on there as well. Um, it's just a win-win for everybody. So if you like blinging out your decks, altersleeves.com slash EDH Retcast, who just happens to be sponsoring the Challenge Stats segment that we're about to enter right here. Dana, how about you start us off this week what are you challenging in the stats? I am challenging the stats on Hall of the Bandit Lord. Uh, Hall of the Bandit Lord is a legendary land that comes into play tap, which isn't great. Um, and it has the ability you can tap it and pay three life and add a colorless mana to your mana pool. And if that mana is spent on a creature spell, that creature gains haste. Uh, Hall is a pretty solid card in, in any deck um, where your commander has a lifelink and evasion in particular. Um, something like Dragonlord Dramoka or Lyra Dawnbringer, um, Piru the Volatile comes to mind. Because a commander has a lifelink and when you give it haste and some evasion, you can very easily just offset the damage that you're taking from the Hall of the Bandit Lord with the life you're gaining from your commander. And you get to do a little bit of extra damage commander damage in particular, um, if not just damage from other creatures, and just not really care about the life that's being lost. That's not really where I'm challenging it, though. A few weeks back, um, people on the interwebs were a little bit aflutter about the perpetual mechanic that was announced um, for Arena. And it's an Arena-only mechanic where the text on a card actually kind of permanently changes. 
in reality, that's really not necessarily a new thing. Perpetual has kind of existed in a way in Paper Magic, going all the way back to at least Champions of Kamigawa, where Hall the Mandalord is from. And the reason I say that is because the words, it gains haste on the card, are almost always followed by until end of turn. But they're not in this case, and it's never been eroded, which means any creature you give haste with Hall the Bandit just always has haste. That doesn't make a lot of difference unless someone steals the creature, unless you're playing one of two commanders, which would be Adric Lunark Marshall and Acroma Vision of Ixidor. Um, there are two creatures where any keywords that your uh, creatures have get shared among all the other creatures. So giving something haste with Hall the Bandalord is a way to spread it amongst all your creatures once you've granted it one time. And white isn't a color where creatures very often have haste. So being able to give something haste in, in those two decks and spread it around is very, very useful. And despite that, only three of the 141 Odric decks we have in the database are running Hall of the Bandit Lord, and none of the solo Acroma decks are, and the commander Acroma is most frequently paired with, which is a Rograk son of of, of Rog, the, the Rugrat. <laughs> um, it's only in two of the 211 Acroma Rugrat decks. So Hall is a very useful card in quite a few decks, and it's it's like twenty dollars. It's kind of expensive, so that's probably part of the reason. But if you happen to have one and you're playing one of those commanders, um, the semi-perpetual ability is very very useful, and it should see more play in those lists. I'm getting some very strong riding the Dilu horse type of energy from your. <laughs> yes, there we go. Yep. <laughs> when you're talking about effects that don't actually say end of turn on them, this is. A quintessential Dana finding those very strange things. But I also just like all of the Vandalord in decks where the commanders have lifelink too. Like that's also just like straight up really, really good. That life payment doesn't even matter at that point. So the good card, we can all agree. I'm going to move on to my challenge now. And this is for a more recent commander from Midnight Hunt. I'm talking about Tovalar, Dire Overlord, the new werewolf commander in Gruul. Finally, we have a compelling werewolf commander after like 10 years of waiting. Three mana, three, three human werewolf. Whenever a wolf or werewolf you control hits a player, you'll draw a card. And at the beginning of your upkeep, if you control three or more wolves and or werewolves, then it will become knight and Tovalar can manually transform any of your other human werewolves that you control as well. There's also a bunch of like Daybound and Tovalar has other abilities on his back half, but we're going to focus on the front half here because there's an interesting thing happening in the data for him so far. And he's just like a runaway favorite from Midnight Hunt. So many decks have come flooding in. We've got so much data for him. That also means that we're seeing some interesting stuff that I do kind of disagree with. One of those cards being Ulvenwald Captive, which shows up in 45% of the 700 Tovalar decks that we've got in the database so far. Ulvenwald Captive, two mana, Werewolf Horror with Defender, taps to add a green to your mana pool, and it can transform itself for seven mana. This is in that, like... Shadows over Innistrad block area where it wasn't following the day-night cycle. It was like an Eldrazi influence. So this werewolf behaves differently than your other werewolves. It doesn't care about how many spells people cast. You just have to actually pay the mana to transform it. At first, I didn't think any of this. I was just like, oh, it's a werewolf that Tovalar can help us transform. Turns out, no, it is a werewolf horror. And if you read Tovalar carefully, he only cares about your human werewolves. He can only manually transform the ones that are humans on their front half. So he actually can't transform Ulvenwald Captive at all. And when it comes to a two-mana mana dork, I'm kind of off it. I don't think that's really what the deck wants, especially if Tovalar is not going to be able to draw any cards off of the fact that this has Defender. I don't think 45% of Tovalar decks should be running this one. There are better werewolves out there, and I think we should be playing those instead. Yep. I mean, every time that we get some new information or new cards on some old creature types like this, um, it's always worth reevaluating some of the older ones that we are playing. And, and do we really need to keep them in or can we add new things in there? Yeah, there are so many werewolves that we could be using. This one, I think there's a trick to it. And that mana dorks, it, it, we don't need it. This deck wants to attack and a lot. So I, I feel like we're honoring the red zone there, Matt. I hope that we're that I'm making you happy with my let's attack more challenge. That That's fine. I will always support that. And, and since you're scratching my back, I'll scratch yours with my challenge this week. Um, and well, I'm not going to scratch it, but uh, my life is John C in our Discord, um, which you can join, patreon.com slash edhretcast if you're interested. Um, we have a challenge where you can submit challenge stats picks and my life is John C submitted one that I thought was really good. And I think Joy, you're really gonna like it too. Cause it's for one of your commanders. Um, so 
John C. in the Discord said, my challenge this week is for Mind Slicer in Greven Predator Captain decks. So Mind Slicer reads, uh, when Mind Slicer is put into the graveyard from play, each player discards his or her hand, um, which that's all well and good. Um, Greven likes sacrificing creatures, and you might think, well, if I sacrifice Mind Slicer, um, to Greven's ability, where you can, uh, whenever they, uh, whenever Greven attacks, you may sacrifice another creature, and if you do, you draw cards equal to the creature's power and lose life equal to the creature's toughness. So you might be thinking, oh, cool, I'll get to draw four cards, lose three life, everybody else discards their hand. But the way that Greven reads, as it's all one ability, you draw those cards and then Mind Slicer's death ability will go off, meaning everybody discards their hands and you just sacrificed everything and you just lost three life for it. So um, that's a really good challenge, John. Um, but yeah, just the way that everything layers, uh, not to mention Mind Slicer has a lot of table groans. Um, so your opponents will be coming after you after you're making them discard your hand. Um, that's also a very good point. The politics behind Mind Slicer, probably not working too well. Um, but yeah, John C. pointed out that 12% of Greven decks are currently playing Mind Slicer. Probably still too much because it's a little bit of non-bow if you're trying to draw cards with it because you do have to discard the cards you draw when you sacrifice it. So it's a really good point. I agree. It's probably not worth discarding your hand and losing a little bit of life, even if you are hosing the table. Um, Joey, any, any input, any thoughts? I, I mean, I just don't want to play against Mind Slicer in general, so I don't flip, put Mind Slicer into my deck. So I'm already avoiding this naturally. And the fact that it doesn't even work with Graven's ability signs that deed for sure. No way that I want to play this because I, if, if I'm going to play something real nasty, I want it to be lopsided where I still get cards in hand. So yeah, no, totally in agreement. Goodbye, Mind Slicer. Will not miss you. Well, should we jump back into the main show topic here, folks? Ready? Let's get back to it. Okay, so... Now we are back into talking about those most stable commanders, and we're in the top three positions here. So, Matt, surely we're all done with all of the ties, right? Like, we had a seven-way tie at number four. There's no way that we have any, you know, commanders that are tied at number three position, right? Please tell me. That sure, surely you say that, but surely I tell you back. Um, joke's on you. We have another tie. Um, okay. so th but this way, it's only a two-way tie. Only a two-way okay. tie at number three. Um, 93 cards have remained the same in these typical decks, which is still a, a pretty admirable, admirable feat there. Um, mm. But you might say Tace is really killing it with holding down the fort here. Um, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> both on multiple fronts because she is, isn't going to get booed off the stage like my dad joke. But also she deals a lot of death triggers. Ah, uh, makes sense now all of a sudden, full circle, here we go. Um, so Tasek Karlov, two in Orzov colors uh, for 2-4. If a creature dying causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. And then also creature tokens you control have vigilance and a lifelink. So as with a lot of aristocrats decks, it's kind of like what Prosh had. It's a pretty solved archetype. Um, there's a lot of cards that are um, staying pretty consistent. You have Pitiless Plunderer, you have Zulaport Cutthroat, you have a lot of just Cruel Celebrant type of effects where whenever creatures are dying, you're draining people for a life, you're drawing cards, all sorts of different abilities, and they're just stacking up over and over and over again. When the commander says something specific like that, typically people tend to tend to gravitate towards that ability. Listeners, if any of you are fans of the Loading Ready Run podcast, North 100, where they talk about Canadian Highlander, you might be familiar with their meme of, does this card go in Aristocrats? Because almost every set, we get cards that look like they'd be really good in an Aristocrats deck. But Aristocrats is already such a solved tight list that it's the answer is basically always no. Like, yes, a very good new card just came out that would indeed be amazing for aristocrats. But the stuff that we've already got is so good that there's no way that we can make that list budge at all. And I feel like this is just proof for that meme of a joke that they've got on that cast. It is echoing again right here. Tessa Karlov is so good at the aristocrat stuff that it doesn't have patience for anything else to break in. It is perfectly happy with the way that its Zulaports are cutthroating and that its pitiless plunderers are indeed plundering. I mean, the deck list is pretty cutthroat in order to get into it. So, yeah, that's, that's a good joke. <laughs> 
I mean, you can't get better than Skull Clamp. You, you just can't get better than Skull Clamp. Like, it's just, yeah, the stuff that you want to do, it's going to remain pretty consistent. When it does come to the occasional new card, we do again see here that, like, Tesa's very interested in that same Meat Hook Massacre card. Like, that's budging in here. And again, I expect to see that in a whole bunch more decks, too. Like, that's a really great addition for Tesa. But, I mean, there's a reason that 93 cards have stayed consistent over the past two years for this deck. It's just, like... I kept. I said it before. I'll keep saying it. You can't change perfection here. Aristocrats is so good, and I feel like this just proves it. Yeah, the cards that it added um, are ones that are kind of general utility cards that are just probably good in a lot of decks that can run them. Mitok Massacre, you mentioned. Um, you know, if you're playing Orzov, Dam is probably a card you're very strongly considering, if not running, because it's just a better version of Wrath of God and Damnation. Um, so there's, so cards like that are, are what are cracking in cards that are just going to be really good in anything in those color combinations. Yeah. So, okay, Matt, you mentioned that there was a tie here for the number three position. One of them was Tesa. Is the other one also aristocrats? It is not. It's kind of the opposite, actually. It's, it's, well, it's a bunch of creatures, at least. Um, it's Nikki of the Old Ways, which is um, kind of very well known for being very creature heavy. Um, three in, in Gruel Colors for 5-5 five, five Centaur Druid. You can't cast non-creature spells. Well, that's that's why. Um, and whenever you tap a <laughs> land for mana, add one mana of any type that land produced. So it effectively doubles the mana, unless you're doing something all sorts of silly with your lands, um, but doubles the lands that you're, or doubles the mana that your lands are producing. Um, also tied with Tesa Karlov, having 93 cards consistent among those two, or among the decks over the past two years. Man, this, I, I gotta admit, I don't, I don't usually like the gruel all that much, but like, this is such an interesting restriction that I gotta respect it. Like, this is what you call commitment to the bit. You're not playing any non-creature spells like if you're going to get ramp it's in the form of creatures this is a deck that on average plays 58 creature cards in the list and 36 lands leaving very very little room for any other type of card like you gotta just absolutely respect the hustle here nikia is really really impressive and i mean when you can also lean into it as strongly as this commander is able to like with beast whisperer effects you're playing so many creatures beast whisperer is going to draw you tons of cards when you play creatures or rurik thar like matt come on this has got to be one of your favorites too right where rurik thar is like if i can't play non-creature spells then it's going to hurt you if you try like come on this is great i mean i definitely appreciate the intention that they have 100 percent. and this is just another variant on these kind of slime foot or rakdos water riot situation where just making that cut in, in what it's doing is limited by what the deck is demanding of you. Slimefoot's wanting Saprolings, Rakdos is wanting colorless things that are really powerful at a certain CMC. Um, so there's just not a lot of things that like meet those qualifications that can qualify for the deck in the first place. That's very much kind of the same thing here where, you know, there's multiple card types that get printed every set, but Nikki is ignoring the instance and the sorceries, and the artifacts, and the enchantments, and the planeswalkers. Like, the amount of possible cards that you're even looking at in the first place to put in this deck is, you know, 80% less than everyone else is looking at. Right, and when it comes to the competition, like, you're up against Sakura Tribelders. Like, if if you're going to put ramp into this deck, you're facing up against cards like Sakura Tribelder, or just other mana dorks in general. Like, and this is such a cool commander that can even get spell effects on its creatures, like Endray's Forerunners, for example. So, like, you're also competing with some of those just, like, classic game-ending cards in general. Like, I, I really love what this commander is up to, and it is funny to see the few cards that have managed to sneak their way into the data and they are very, very recent cards that have done so, like the new Augur of Autumn, for example, that three mana human druid that lets you look at the top card of your library anytime you can play lands off the top of your library. And if you have creatures with at least three different powers among your creatures, then you can also cast creature spells off the top of your deck too. Like that's one card that has managed to work its way into Nikia because it is card advantage that comes on a creature and that feels absolutely great for exactly what the deck is doing. But man, how specific did it have to get to finally eke into this deck? Well, and what's really surprising here is despite being a gruel commander, people are still running the Meat Hook Massacre here as well so that's that's managed to crack what? through <laughs> and show up also in a grill deck which is very impressive I, and i think that's factually inaccurate but <laughs> that, uh, you said it confidently so i might believe you <laughs> 
fully, fully, fully got me there, Dana. All right. Cleverly done. But um, you know what, Dana, how about you tell us some accurate information instead of those falsehoods? Take us away from number three. We are done with the ties officially. What is there at number two most consistent commander? At, at number two, the um num- the the most consistent commander here, the the runner up, we have uh Kadena Slinking Sorcerer. The Saltai Commander Naga Wizard um, that cares about morphs. So the first face-down creature spell you cast each turn costs three less to cast. And whenever a face-down creature enters the battlefield under your control, you draw a card. Um, it's a commander that very much wants you to lean heavily into morphs. And we only get morphs about once every 12 to 14 years for the most part. Um, so this is a commander that I expect to just kind of always stay atop one of these unchanged lists until that year that we get a set that revisits Morph, in which case we'll see, you know, 40% of the deck turn over because the pickings are already pretty slim for, for cards to make this cut. And once given a whole new host of options, you're going to see some big time changes. But until then it's going to be pretty static. Well, and Dana, I think you just said there that like a batch of new morphs could cause some movement here. This is actually one of those commanders where like, I don't know, if I were a Kadena player, I'd be pretty attached to a whole bunch of these. I don't think they necessarily get better than, you know, it's always Willbender. Like the Willbender will always flip face up and counter. It's always Willbender. Like it's always Willbender. Yeah, it it will like uh, change the target of a spell or it'll the Stratus Dancer, which can counter stuff or there's Kadena Silencer's Den Protector. Like this actually does feel to me like the effects that we've got on some of the face down creatures, uh, those Morphe type of cards, they do feel like even if we got a whole bunch of new morphs, they'd have to be pretty spicy to make these move away. Like, I I feel like there's a, a good amount of stability here, even among the fact that this is a very niche type of strategy. I don't know if that's entirely true. Um, You named a bunch of good morph cards, but I think you might have named the only good morph cards for the most part. Oh, um, okay. Th- like, the top four or five are pretty decent, but it gets pretty dire after that. And I, I think in a lot of cases when I've played against Kadena decks... Um, they're running some fairly bad morphs just to have enough morphs in the deck to make the deck function. I think there is plenty of room for improvement once we get a chance to revisit the, the mechanic down the road. All right. You know what? Okay. That, that's probably fair. I, I think you're right that like, you know, the Jeskai infiltrators of the world are not exactly something that we're pleased right. to keep <laughs> sticking around. Um, but it is interesting also to see the types of cards that have been able to creep into this deck because like, I mean, it, it isn't just even morph stuff. There are like other small things that occasionally will creep up there that deal with face down permanence, such as Yodora Grave Gardener, which shot into a bunch of Kadena decks out there. Yodora Grave Gardener is the five mana, five, five true folk druid from the Strixhaven precons. Whenever another non-token creature you control dies, you may return it to the battlefield face down under its owner's control, and it is a forest land. So when your creatures die, they become your forests, which tap for a bunch of mana, which is great. But even though they're face down, you can still activate their morph ability. So you get to double up your morph stuff. Like this is a great card. Very rare type of thing to see for this to actually finally force its way into a change for Kadena. But it does occasionally happen. Very seldom, but it can happen. It just has to be specific like this. Well, and it has to be so specific, but also like it has to be so powerful. Like we we talked about how like a majority of the morphs aren't really all that great, which is why the morphs that these Kadena decks are playing are all like ninety five percent plus synergy. Like it's they're getting played at such a high clip because they're your only real options. Yeah, yeah, no, the numbers on this page are definitely very, very much higher than you would usually see for other, especially more diverse types of commanders. There is one other card that is kind of specific that I think is also very interesting to see that it's crept into the Kadena data, and that's from AFR, that's Grazalax. Ithalid Scholar, which is a mouthful to say. This is a 3-mana three 3-2 three, horror. Whenever a creature you control becomes blocked, you may return it to its owner's hand, and whenever one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, you can draw a card. This is kind of an interesting sort of a sort of a staring contest with your opponents because this is a neat way to get your creatures back into your hand so that you can play them again for free with Kadena face down so that you can reactivate their abilities when they flip face up. So that's also pretty interesting to see. Maybe any other future movement that we see with Kadena would also rely upon clever ways to put the creatures back into your hand so that you can replay them and get their effects once more. Yeah, I, I know we've been saying a lot of that about most of these commanders today because they are fairly specific, but like this is probably... Well, and maybe our next commander that we're going to talk about, the last one, um, which, Dana, you can probably lead us into. But yeah, they're just they're so very tight because they're so reliant on very, very specific mechanics that have such a very small card pool. 
Yeah, um, the commander Matt is, is talking about here, the, the number one least changed commander here on our list is Miss Angie Falconrath. Miss um, Angie, hell yeah. Yes, indeed. Um, a 1-3 legendary vampire for three mana with haste, and Angie reads you can tap her to discard a card and to draw a card, and whenever you discard a card, if it has madness, untap Angie Falconrath. Um, very oftentimes how this deck works is you're just trying to discard cards with madness to untap Angie to draw a card and do it again and again and again to draw down to a combo piece, oftentimes a World Gorge or Dragon combo. So you don't necessarily care how good your madness cards are. You just want a lot of madness cards in the deck. And very much like with morphs, there's just not a lot of cards with madness out there. Um, 48 legal madness cards total, just like total legal cards in Commander, there's 48 that you can choose from. Um, and unlike with morphs, where like there's kind of a cap on maybe how many morph creatures you want in a deck in the first place, and because of the way Kadena's worded, you can only really utilize that ability once per turn, that is not true of, of Angie Falconrath. Um, as many madness cards as you pitch, you can untap and draw a card and pitch something else. So it's a commander that is not afraid to go deep on effects, maybe even deeper than Kadena. It has a left to choose from. That's just a recipe for a commander that just doesn't change. Just not at all. Like you just don't even care. <laughs> like it, the, the card could be a, a zero mana, zero one or something like that. And you would just be like, yeah, I don't mind. If it has madness on it, cool. It could be a 10 mana, one, one. You would just be like, does that say madness? Cool. Like it, it's good. Like that is the level that we're talking about. And you, like that formula cannot change to make those combos happen. The only things that can change are the occasional moments whenever we do get new madness cards. That, that is the only way that this deck will change like at all because it is just so efficient at digging to those combos that that's just sort of what the soul of the deck has become. It's crazy to look at this page and see how many of these cards have interesting text on them and Angie just doesn't care at all. Well, and what's especially interesting, Joey, is you just mentioned how, you know, when we get Madness cards in a set on occasion, we, that's when you'll see changes. We did. We got a few Madness cards in Modern Horizons too. And even with those changes this was still the least changed deck. So like we had a year, we had one of the rare years where we actually had madness cards and it's still the least changed deck. That should show you how just static this deck remains. Well, and like there, there were payoff cards that we got after Angie Falconrath, like uh, Bone Miser is like one of those rare nod madness cards in the deck because it's kind of like waste knot on a creature card where you're gonna get, get bonuses whenever you're discarding cards of a certain type. And also Shadow of the Grave, like that's a good way to recycle everything. So even though you may only have 48 cycling or madness cards, I should say, um, you cycle a bunch of them out there, you use Angie's ability, and then you just cast Shadow of the Grave. And even though you may only have discarded 15, you get all those back in your hand and start over again. <laughs> only, only. Only like, yeah, 15, yeah. It, it's crazy, yeah. Like it, it just, it, it, it's such an interesting thing to go over these and see like, yeah, I guess there was a new card, Terminal Agony from Modern Horizons. What's the text on it? Andy doesn't care. Or Necrogoif, interesting looking card. I'm sure that this has interesting synergies to go with. No, doesn't care. Does it say madness on it? Cool, it's in the deck. Like that's what we're talking about here. It is very, very fascinating to see. So, all right, once again, commitment to a mechanic causes a severe amount of stability and just unchanging stoicism for these decks so there we go a big tie in the number four position a small tie there at number three and then kadena and ms angie falconrath take it for our number two and number one these decks just do not want to change so so going through here i know we all mentioned a couple commanders that maybe we all have have had or, or still do have uh, Dana, I know you all are always updating your decks, but are there any commander decks that you have still that you're not really updating that much? Um, you know, I, yes, I, I'm someone who doesn't believe in the idea of a deck being finished. Um, <laughs> I'm just always tinkering constantly that the concept that I'm going to be done with something is foreign to me. Um, <laughs> but there are definitely decks that I, th I think do see less action. Um, my Jiru with eyes open deck um, mono white super friends um, probably sees the least amount of change among my decks just because the amount of good mono white planeswalkers that come up per year is is pretty limited uh, as well as like support cards pretty small number yeah. um, 
And, you know, kind of the way white works too, like even the utility spells in, in white, they're just not going to probably print something better than Path to Exile or Swords of Plowshares. Those are just going to be there forever. I certainly hope um, they don't print anything better yeah. than those. Those are good. I enough. mean, if they do, I will add them to the deck. Don't get me wrong. But like, so so there's a couple reasons that deck really doesn't change. That's the one that jumps out at me as probably being the the, the most concrete. That, that makes a lot of sense. Matt, we saw on this list, Tasa Karlov was one of those decks that has changed very, very little. And you do have a Tasa Karlov deck. Is this true of your experience too? Or is Tasa a commander that maybe you've updated a bit more frequently than your other decks? What's that experience like f- for you on your end? Uh, as, as far as my decks go, Tasa's probably about average. I update a, f- a couple cards every now and then. Um, we also have to keep in mind, like, I'm terrible about updating my card or updating my decks. So I'm not a good person to ask. Um, like my, I would think that the two decks I update the least is probably my uh, Omnath Locus of Rage because that deck is fairly tuned at this point. Um, you're gonna have to have a really good card, either like a really good reward or a really good ramp spell in order for me to update that deck. But also AC Tyrant of Gyre Straits, just because I don't play that deck a whole lot. And like, I even have self-imposed restrictions on it. Like I've turned that into Sea Monster Tribal and that means I need some really good Krakens or Leviathans to come out. And those also are a little hard to come by every now and then too, so. Yeah, I think I mentioned mine earlier being Feather the Redeemed and it's like, yeah, I barely ever update that deck. There there are new toys that come out that could go into it, but it's just a pretty rare thing for me. Whereas like, you know, whenever we get any new graveyard stuff, I'm usually like, okay, yeah, I gotta try this out. So it does feel like Feather definitely lined up in my experience with the data that we saw here. Mostly, I think I'm just kind of astonished to see that if we had tried to go to like the full 10 positions, we genuinely would have talked about like a hundred different commanders. So it feels like we've just kind of covered a tip of the iceberg here. There are a lot of commanders out there whose deck data does tend to remain pretty much static, pretty much stable. There are a lot of commanders who have found their identity and are really, really happy with that. And so, Dana, I guess I'll just real quick ask you one last thing. Like, you said that you don't think decks are ever finished. Like, what do you think about that, that there are so many commanders that do tend to stay pretty stable? Does that make you happy? Do you wish that they would change things up more? What, what do you think about that? No, I mean, I, I think if if that's what your deck is doing, I think sometimes you can't help it. Uh, myself, like, I'm probably going to avoid playing a commander um, like that just because the, the other aspect of that is your deck probably tends to look like or very similar to every other deck that's that's using that commander. Um, you know, there's just so few choices for Angie that those decks tend to look very similar, which is something that I try to avoid in the decks I make. Um, so for me, it's not really a problem I'm going to have to deal with very often. Um, but if it's something that, you know, is it's the way it works for some people, it is what it is. Like if you want to play morphs, you might not have you know, you're just not going to have a ton of options because there's just not a lot of new morph cards coming out, right? So I I, I think it just can't be helped. There's just some strategies that are just going to be narrow and not get a lot of new cards because they just don't print new options for it. And and as long as you enjoy playing it, that's what matters. And see, like, it's it's funny because, like, I'm on the the polar opposite side of that spectrum. Like, I like, and it's almost like a comforting feeling almost to, to have a deck and consider it, quote, done. Um, mm. because like it, for me, it, it takes a lot of pressure off, like having to like, I can't miss any cards like during preview season. Um, but so like if something does jump out at me, like I feel like I'm able to get a little more excited. Maybe that's just me, probably just me. Yeah. Um, but like, I look forward like, oh, I'm really excited to try this new card out because I only put a new card in maybe once or twice a year. Um, uh, so for me, like it helps, like if I consider a deck done, uh, it keeps things fresh for me because then when I finally do try something out, like I have something to look for with a deck um, versus tinkering and just like, that's just not how I enjoy it. Uh, I know, I mean, we play all the time just on Wednesdays, twitch.tv slash EDH Retcast, <laughs> uh, but it's always super fun. Like I enjoy looking forward to the cards that you, Dana, are trying out or Joey, you too, but also like I look forward to like, okay, I have one new card and I really hope I see it in this game. Um, that's just yeah. like how my brain works with the game. So it's, it's I love how all three of us have very, very different viewpoints when it comes to updating decks even. 
Yeah, no, this must have been honestly like one of your favorite topics. Now that now that you've said all of that, it's just like that's right. You you do like a deck that kind of like remains stable and there's like a security to it. Like so these commanders that don't change a whole lot, it's kind of like, yes, this is a nice tempo. It's nice to not always care about every brand new card that comes out from the 18,000 different products that come out all of the time. So this must have been a very nice, secure, kind of safe, sort of comfy feeling. I it's it's like that, that favorite blanket you have that you just curl up on the couch and just watch some TV. <laughs> Well, you know what? There, I'm sure by the time that this episode comes out, we'll have announced a whole bunch of new previews from a whole bunch of new sets. So I hope that that safety blanket feeling uh, maintains itself for you there, Matt. I, I, that, really that I will. I'll, I'll rush to my safety blanket and and just cuddle what the next set that starts coming out. Yeah. And if not, then maybe you'll like put that sheet over your head and say boo. Something throwback to your opening. Deck Man, Joe, you really that. killed that one. Yeah, nice job. <laughs> Excellent. Just excellent. Oh, man. I love that you can pick up what I put down because I didn't put it down. I dropped it. I think think the youth say I am dead. I, I dead. I am absolutely dead. What we need to do right now is definitely call this episode to a close to save myself from further embarrassment. So if our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find us all? Matt, uh, you can find me closing the coffin on this podcast uh, <laughs> over at Twitter. Uh, Mathemus 55 M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S is my handle. Um, and also you may have heard twitch.tv slash EDH Retcast, where we're streaming every t- every Wednesday evening. Uh, we have guests on every single week. They're always awesome. We're usually okay, but <laughs> the guests make up for it. So make sure you tune in for the guests at least. Oh, man. And Dana. You can find me on my other podcast, CMDR Central. I'm writing articles for EDH Rec and for Commander's Herald. And you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDHRECcast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter, and you can find the cast at EDHRecCast on both Facebook and Twitter. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRecCast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to the whole team at the Command Zone for handling the post-production work on our podcast, and we want to thank our sponsors, TCG Player and CardKingdom.com, and you can visit Altersleeves.com slash EDHRecCast for cool, custom EDHREC sleeves. Listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights, but until then, remember, EDHRecCast, your before you wreck your deck.